Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. said this is Cindy Meyer the publisher of Spirit Seeker magazine and I do I wear many hats but um, Spirit Seeker is probably the longest hat that I have worn in this lifetime and I just give thanks each and every month it was we um, bring this magazine together uh, 20 years it's just hard to believe 20 years in publishing and we've been at the forefront of the mind body spirit evolution uh, and technology from the beginning. I have great people who have supported the magazine. We've been published online since 1998. <clears throat> We've been um, available in St. Louis, Kansas City, and Chicago as a print magazine. We also support many mind, body, spirit conferences throughout the U.S. Most recently, this last weekend, we were um, really rocking it in that we were at the Global Pyramid Conference in Chicago, the first ever of its kind, with scientists and um just all kinds of different people who understand the power of Egypt and all that it has brought to us as a civilization. And then um, I personally was at the Afterlife Conference in St. Louis where doctors, medical doctors, shamans, hospice workers, psychologists, nurses, grief counselors, and um, and psychic mediums, some of the most amazing gifted people, all came together to um, study the afterlife. So I I just could go on and on. But what I can tell you is that we are on on Earth at a fabulous, fabulous time where we can all come together through this radio show that is through the Internet and goes all over the world. And uh, through publishing, being able to have a print magazine that people still hold, but also to be read by people all over the world because of the Internet. You know, and the Internet only started in 1994, so look at the uh, revolution, evolution that we have had. Okay, so just a couple more announcements, and then I'm bringing my fabulous guest on. I can't wait. Okay, the announcements are we have a, a monthly magazine, but we also have a weekly email newsletter. The weekly email newsletter lets you know who the radio show guests are, when the magazine's um, uploaded and online, what the articles are that month, and we allow others to, um, you know, let our readers, uh, email readers, know about the different events. So, um, and we also do periodic drawings for fabulous books and CDs and DVDs because there's, you know, we get so many wonderful gifts through the mail excuse me, and we bless our readers and we bless our email subscribers. So we do periodic drawings. So please, please ask to be added to our email list. We don't sell it. It's sacrosanct by sending an email to info at spiritseeker.com and just ask to be added to the list. And we will do that. Okay, so um, here we go. Tonight's guest is Dr. Stephen Farmer. I met Dr. Stephen Farmer in 2005 at a Hay House conference in Las Vegas. I'm sure he doesn't remember. It was a crazy time. It was uh, when Louise Hay was introducing her online radio. Um, she had she had not had a radio aspect to her um, her work until then, and. Uh, I, there's a presence about this man, and um, when I was uh, introduced to his work and uh, asked if I would consider him, yes, as a radio show guest, I'm like, are you kidding? I would love this. So Dr. Stephen Farmer is a world-renowned author. He's a soul healer, a shamanic practitioner, and a spiritual teacher. He uh, is, in addition, the author of the recently released Healing Ancestral Karma, as well as other bestsellers, including Earth Magic, Uh, He has oracle cards, animal spirit guides, pocket guide to spirit animals, which are fabulous. All of this is fabulous. Sacred Ceremony and um, many other publications. He has the Children's Spirit Animal Cards, Children's Spirit Animal Stories, CD, Volume 1 and 2. He conducts workshops and trainings on a variety of of topics related to earth magic. Um, 
soul healing, shamanism, and other, you know, earth-centered spiritual practices. He offers private consultations face-to-face or by phone for earth uh, magic intuitive readings and shamanic and psycho-spiritual healing. He is a lifelong healer and teacher, and he works with spiritual transformation, trauma recovery, shamanism, hypnotherapy, breathwork, and energy psychology. So as you can hear, he brings a wealth and a deep richness to his work, and here we go. And if you would like to ask a question at any time, just press one pound on your phone, and we will bring you on the air. But Dr. Stephen Farmer, welcome to this wonderful interview. I'm so glad you're here. Well, that's a, a very gracious and a very kind introduction. Thank you, Cindy. I appreciate that. Looking forward to it. Okay. I love, so, I love these discussions. I'm sorry, what? Oh, I love these kind of discussions. Okay. Well, well, you know, it's just so fascinating having come from this afterlife conference with shamans, you know, and mixed with medical doctors, and with your your background, you know, energy psychology and all the other, you know, gifts that you bring to the table. What would you say the biggest change from the time you started your work until present time? And this is a very wide question, I know that. But considering, you know, your time on planet Earth, and where you started and where we are now as a civilization. And, you know, let's start with mainly, mm. well, not mainly, but, you know, the fact that, yes, we're in the U.S., but you're a global, you've studied, you know, global everything in order to be a shaman and et cetera. But what would you say the biggest changes that you've seen or impact that you're seeing? Where, where Just go with that and see what you would like to share. Well, I've gotten older. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> uh, have it be all. Anyway, oh, yes. um, I, you know that, that's a really good question. Yeah, it's a big question. But I'd say one of the things I find interesting, uh, as uh, more and more people have come to at least uh, know the word shaman, maybe not clear on what it means, but the word shaman or uh, shamanic practitioner, and I think that's a reflection of what's going on generally in human consciousness, and particularly those of us in the Western civilization. You know, uh, New Age kind of, I can't think of a better word than describe it, New Age culture, subculture, whatever, metaphysical culture. Um, most people that you run into, let's say in um, metaphysical bookstores or at conferences like you described, you know, you go... Um, you, you say the word shaman and they, they have some general understanding of it. Anyway, and I think the reason is is because it is a practice. It's a healing practice that goes not just for the individual but for the community and certainly for the planet. And that because of uh, we sort of, <laughs> uh, well, we don't sort of, we have our backs against the wall, so to speak, with the changes that are very, uh, that are increasingly evident, you know, in what's going on with the planet. And shamanism offers a different vantage point, a different way of working with healing than maybe some of the more, our more contemporary practices, medical practices, uh, psychotherapy practices, etc. In that it, it, it very much is working with, directly with the spirits that someone who has come to know those spirits as guides and teachers and healers. Now, Cindy, the thing is, in indigenous communities, there typically is at least one go-to person, a shaman, that is a little bit of everything, psychiatrist, psychologist, herbalist, healer, uh, spiritual teacher, priest, etc. I think one of the big changes, going back to your question, that is reflected by this increasing interest and involvement in shamanism and shamanic realities is... um, that I've said this just the other day in a workshop I did is that 30 or so years ago, we still looked uh, sort of askance at indigenous communities and somewhere in our brains, what we were indoctrinated to believe is they were primitives, you know, that we knew, we knew better Um, manifest destiny. I forget who came up with that term, but considering white, white man's burden, you know, manifest destiny, civilize the world. Well, we're over that, and what we're doing now, where 30 years ago we considered them primitives, we're, we're now going and seeking teachings from them, 
in wanting to know more about these, um, you could say, shamanic realities. So um, that's one of the big changes, I think, that's going on. The other is, of course, you know, almost needless to say, Cindy, is that uh, an appreciation and a respect for the fact that um, the Earth is a... Uh, Earth is our mother, and she's kind of worn out, you know. And uh, she's been uh, uh, there, been in over the four and a half billion years of the planet. That I think, uh, as I recall reading, there's been something like about six or seven uh, epochs in the lifetime of the Earth. Uh, what was it, you know, a million years ago or so that supposedly an asteroid hit the Earth? You know, the things like that that have have. Um, uh, basically destroyed m- most, if not all, life on Earth, and yet life itself regenerated. We're at a point now where, it, where our contribution to that um, potentially cataclysmic change is uh, largely human-made, but with the cooperation of Mother, who continually balances things out no matter what we do. <laughs> And there is a balance that's that's taking place now, where uh, you know temperatures are skyrocketing and all that, and this thing about global warming. But the other, on the other hand, what I have hope for, and I see this, is the children. And what's going on? And I'm sure you've observed this too, Cindy. Is parents that are in the awakening process, and have children, that um, they are able to nurture their their gifts in a much more direct way than before. And what's showing up more and more are children who have this incredible intuitive capacity. So anyway, that's kind of a long answer to your question, but that's one of the biggest changes. The other is an appreciation for the land, that the land is not something that we as a species uh, can merely take from, that more and more what we're looking at different processes of of being able to... um, have it be more of an exchange. What we, what we take, we give back in some way. You know, and in small ways. I, I look out my window here. I have a home office at my garden, and I just, I, I just absolutely am delighted to grow things. <laughs> I mean, my name is Farmer. To do with it, yeah, but, we are kindred yeah. spirits, kindred spirits, and you know. It's it's interesting, you know, that you you know I we're definitely going to talk about the children because they are different coming in, but um, but my son is 18 and he should have been graduating from high school, but instead he was one of those little masters early on. So he finished his first year of college and he invited a friend over who was a city person and um, actually he was raised by multiple pods, shall we say, this lifetime and um, never really experienced gardening. And so we've had yeah. rain in St. Louis like nonstop for yeah. I don't know how long. It's been it's we're getting April showers in May. And so I have all these plants on my deck and all my herbs that normally would be, you know, planted by now. And so the whole my whole deck is like all this that has to go in. But then, of course, I have my perennial beds and all this other stuff. And this this young man, Kalel, who's a rapper and just so brilliant, he says to my son, "Wow, there is so much aliveness out here. Like this is like mm-hmm. wow." He just you know, and that's what mm-hmm. gardening is. And so, isn't it just fabulous to have live things around you? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's one of the things that uh, certainly is my passion. I I, uh, I still am am trying to work out how to make the corn grow in and I we're talking about a small patch of dirt here too you know it's not not extensive um you know we, we don't have acres and acres of land here but <laughs> 3 years in a row this is the third year I'm attempting this um there has been um aphids and ants that have invaded the corn and it's never really successfully grown so I I'm doing my research on that I'm talking to people and everything to see what I can do to prevent it Without, of course, without using pesticides and stuff like that, I want to do it. That's the only way I'll do it is more natural means. Anyway, yeah, it's pretty magical, isn't it? I mean, we live in a, uh, we really live in a magical planet. Uh, I, I think that we forget, we get a little complacent with the fact of our existence. That I can, that I can, I can walk outside, 
and I can breathe the air and I can look up at the stars and I can watch the clouds roll by and I can look at my look at this tree this this magnificent tree that's on our block that uh, just every time I pass by it I'm just astounded with its majesty and its beauty and the uh, the miracle of how everything in spite of any uh, uh, in, uh, obstructions or whatever everything kind of works together you know I'm just amazed. I, I just did a breathwork workshop, and it's always a reminder to me of, of our, our, of our, our, such a simple thing is to breathe. Take a deep breath and then exhale it, and how we are connected intimately with the plant kingdom and the tree people with our breath. They give to, there's a good example of the exchange. You know, that we give to them, they give to us. We give to them, they give to us. And uh, it's just this miraculous. It's just miraculous. You know, most people do not realize, you know, we float around in the womb for nine months. We don't have to do anything. Womb service, you know, it's just all handled <laughs> for the most part, like you know. And then what yeah. is the first thing we have to do when we, like, get smacked and turned upside down and, you know, take a breath right now, get going. And, you know, Dr. Thomas Vernier, who is a French doctor who delivered babies um, in the usual form, cut the cord, turn, you know, rush, 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 get him breathing. Mm. And one day a child was born and looked him in the eyes, stared him down. Uh, and he realized, oh, my God, this child has consciousness. And after that, he changed the whole way he delivered babies. And, you know, the first thing we do when we're born is we breathe. And then the last thing we do is we let the breath go when we mm-hmm, are mm-hmm. going to the other side. And most people don't realize that 70 percent of the detoxification of the body is through the breath like first thing we do when we're under stress we hold our breath or we breathe through it you know we're at choice Mm -hmm. or you know when we don't feel well and you know you're compromised physically the breath slows down and so does everything Mm -hmm. else so i loved when i saw that you were a breath worker because i i've been i met sandra ray in 92 (laughs) 1992 what a privilege yeah yeah, my 37th birthday, and she totally changed my life. I was working on my MBA, and the next thing you know, I'm studying being a rebirther. And, you know, and huh. I just look at the breath as how much it can transform. And I, when I saw that as one of, well, I knew you were a shaman, but I, but I looked at all the other things, and I was like, oh, he gets it. He, you know, and I was like, oh, I, I'm so glad. So, you know, with the breath, can you talk just a little bit about the magic you've seen with the work that you've done with using the breath. Well, yeah, I, I was thinking of another thing, and then I'll, I'll answer your question, which is uh, the story of uh, my, um, two stories of people that died and what was their last word or words. <laughs> and uh, Masura, Masuru Imoto, who died, I think, about a year ago, it was reported that his last word when on his last exhale, on his last breath, was arigato, Japanese for thank you. Isn't that exquisite? (laughs) That you could go out, you know, on that final breath, you could go out and say thank you, rather than, oh, God, I I sometimes say, you know, unlike my grandfather, who, um, or like my grand, I'm going to go out like my grandfather who died in his sleep, and not like the three people in his car. That crashed. Right, <laughs> anyway, that's right. a stupid joke. But anyway, no, Masura, but I understood. Most, <laughs> but, but, but thank you. Thank you. I mean, he and, went out with what he taught. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And Steve Jobs, I loved what he supposedly said. His sister was there when he died. His last words were, <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's another way to go out, I guess. Anyway, yeah. Um, I just oh, but there's no phenomenal. afterlife, right? There's no yeah. journey. No, no. This is it. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so, so, you know, that's the thing. We get, I think we get, we're so identified with our ego self and our body. Uh, what I've been thinking about lately, and it's rather somewhat an abstract philosophical point, but and we talk about spirit and God and, you know, the various names for the one or the unity, et cetera. But in, uh, in fact, in my book, I wrote about this, uh, Healing Ancestral Karma, about uh, if we could put a capital C in front of consciousness, 
and really get that we are more than a philosophy, that we are associated and intimately connected with all that is. And that when I think of myself as I am Stephen, um, I am consciousness expressing as Stephen Farmer, one way to look at it, um, versus I am consciousness expressing in this uh, form that's called a human being, Stephen Farmer. I'm not saying that very elegantly, but you get what I'm saying. I get it totally. I, I am consciousness expressing as this guy named Stephen Farmer. That tree out there is consciousness expressing as that tree. You are Cindy expressing consciousness expressing as Cindy. In other words, we, we played it with that a little bit in workshops because when I identify with my ego mind and in turn my body, death will be fearful if not terrifying because I believe that I am dying. When I recognize that this consciousness that I am expressing as is something much more eternal, then I can say at the end of my life, thank you, or oh wow, <laughs> without, be, without f- being full of fear. I can let go more readily of this body. Anyway, just kind of tripping off on that. Something that no, that, I understand it totally. I mean, you have to understand, I, am, I was at this conference, and it's like, you know, of yeah. all things, you know, two of the top mediums, I win the door prize for one of the three top mediums, and I had a reading delivered, and, you know, by in a, in a gallery-style reading with 200 people, and this guy's like, you know, who's the gardener? Who's this? He tapped into all this stuff, and then he's like, is this your father's father that has such an influence on you? I said, well, actually, it was my stepfather's father. You know, he he taught us as children. Um, he wouldn't allow a TV in his house because he said, that's a talking box, and mm-hmm. everyone will watch the box instead of talking. He was from France and had a 300-acre yeah, farm. So, I mean, I grew up with this man as my – and he accepted my older brother and myself who were adopted um, by our stepfather. And there were like – I don't there were 10 kids, you know, 10 aunts and uncles, so you can imagine all the children that came from all that. And um, But he accepted my older brother and myself as if we were part of the tribe, like just – that we were treated no differently than his other grandchildren. And he was my first experience with death. And he came in from the fields, and the big meal was at noon, and he said to my grandmother, Grace, he said, you know, I'm feeling a little bit tired. I think I'm just going to lay down and rest for a while. Um, and she mm-hmm. says, well, okay, you do that. You know, lunch will be ready in a few minutes. Yeah. And he laid down, and he died. That was it. Like, yeah. shutters yeah. off, you know. And, and he read yeah. the Bible to us every night, and it was like those those you know, when you're talking about healing ancestral karma for yourself from unhealthy family uh, patterns, I really loved how you said, you know, you work with all the energy, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing, so please step in if I'm wrong, but oh, um, basically the essence is we work with our tribe and all of our people who become part of our tribe until we, and figuring it all out until we get who we are, sort of. And mm-hmm. And I loved how you put that. I was like, whoa, that is like, that's it, you know? And, you know, Master Moto like, teaching us through consciousness of, you know, what you focus on expands. And, you know, if you want to think about this word, you're going to get prisms like this. If you're going to think about that, you're going to get prisms like this. Right. So what do you want, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, all these master teachers and people are like, why are all these people leaving the planet? Well, you know what? They're complete. They've done a fabulous job. Right, yeah. And, you know, we've yeah. evolved. And, it, you know, so I want to, I want to, we could go, you know, the time's going to get away. This hour's going to go <laughs> by very quickly. So I want to talk about yeah. your your work with the um, teaching the children through the animal totem cards and through the CDs and, you know, it just through the nature-based thing, especially with the animals that you're doing with all of your teaching. Um, not all, but you know what I mean. So let's talk about that and how you have um, transition, tra- taken that knowledge and um, But before I do that, I want to share with you, you know, my 18-year-old son and his friend were here right before the interview, about an hour before, 
And I said, okay, you guys are going to be part of my experiment to prepare me for this interview tonight. I said, I'd like you to draw a card. And they're 18 and 19, but they're still, you know, they're young people. And one pulled dolphin, and Mm. the other one pulled eagle. And the one who mm-hmm. pulled Eagle is totally an Eagle. Like, he is an influencer. He'll, he'll, he knows how to, like, not go with the group mind. He knows how to be a little bit different. And then my son, you know, with Dolphin, and, um, oh, we had just gone through this whole thing. Like, tra- you know, the first year they come back from college, they're very different. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm cooperation so so let's talk about this and they loved their cards and when they were leaving they thanked me they're like mom and you know Cindy thank you and they took that with them and that will be part of the rest of their lives they'll remember this so let's talk about your cards and your cds and your work with taking all this knowledge you have and sharing it with these little these gifted beings that are on the planet oh sure well it it, um the transition from uh, an active psychotherapy practice to shamanism uh, was a very gradual one it, in about 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago. I don't remember the exact date. I finally, you know, closed the doors and said, "Okay, I've got to move on here." And it took a few months, and then uh, I started writing. And the first book that came out, in, I'd written some as a therapist, self-help type books. One of which, by the way, has still survived and continues to thrive, actually. But um, it took me, uh, it took me a little while, and I started writing. The first book, Sacred Ceremony, and then my, I, I got really clear. My intention was to take what I was learning about shamanism and from my own work with shamanism and develop um, certain areas that would be palatable to people whether they were interested or not in shamanism. Thus, uh, the first book, Sacred Ceremony. And then... Um, the next uh, uh, phase had to do with spirit animals. I realized um, you don't have to be a shaman to understand that there are messages that are delivered to us by great spirit. And they come in different ways. And one of the most elegant ways and a fun way is through the animals. That when an animal shows up, and we're talking about generally any animal, animal spirit guides, uh, the other day, I, a cricket, you know, jumped into my uh, office here at home, and immediately I knew that um, it was about I need to play and sing more. I play and sing. I've got a few musical instruments, but guitar, and I've written some songs and stuff, and cricket was reminding me to sing and play more. So anyway, I, I wanted to get this out. So the first book was Power Animals, and Power Animals are a, a special brand of animal spirit guides, and they are um, ones that are with us for a long, long time. Shamanism, in shamanism, we always have at least a couple of spirit animals called power animals that are the source of teaching, guidance, etc. Um, so anyway, one, one thing like the animal spirit guides, the book came out, and then pocket guides, the oracle cards, power animals, message for it. And then somebody said, I think it was actually my wife, Jessica, said you should do one for kids and I went well uh, you know stumbled over my words going, well how do you do that so and I attribute I, I must uh, say I attribute her influence on this because she did a lot of the work on these cards the children's spirit animal cards and Karen Stuth of uh, Satyama the publisher when I was just in a conversation about it with her I said something about yeah you know um, the idea has come up about doing children's spirit. And she said, let's do it. And I went, um, really? Okay. So anyway, we found, you know, so there was really the three of us that really developed the cards. Uh, Karen sort of steered it. She found a, uh, well, I, I take it back. We found a really good artist that has these. My, my idea was very clear that I wanted, um, I didn't want cartoonish drawings and I didn't want them to look like uh, the ones in my other deck, Power Animal Oracle Cards, a little too real. And Pamela Anzalotti captured it. Um, Jessica wrote the guidebook, the guide in, we, there's a guidebook that goes with it that gives you a little bit more, uh, for, for older children, they can read a little bit more about each card. Uh, younger children, my grandson Desmond at two and a half years old, uh, Nicole, my daughter, sent me a, a video of him going through the cards and just naming the animals. He couldn't read, but he was right. naming the animals. 
And I've heard more stories like that with three, four-year-olds. And then, like you said, your son, uh, 18, and his friend, who's 18, uh, were able to get a reading from it. So the idea, it, it really serves a multiple purposes. One, it introduces children to the animals. Second is that there is a message on each of the cards that could have some real relevance for the individual, the children pulling the card. And third, it's a great way to, for parents to play with their kids and at the same time do a teaching about spirit animals. So it, it's, it's really cool. There's, I think, been about six awards for this by different parent groups. And, if, you know, I'm rattling on and on about this, but it, it's just something I'm very pleased with, the response. Like, for instance, I pull, uh, let me pull a card here, Cindy, just real quick. These cards are beautiful. I have to tell you, they're, well, they you. are absolutely beautiful. So. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, and I, uh, and you know, I read, of course, you know, the meaning of each one to each of the, the two boys. And, you know, they, they I, I knew they were just like, what? You know, but they know me. They, they know I'm a little bit different. But what card did you pull? I'm just curious. Uh, ladybug. Oh, nice. No, Maybe Ladybug is saying, notice the little things. And so that, that directs our attention to, oh, okay, there's a message coming through this spirit animal, Ladybug, that's uh, giving us a, uh, a suggestion, basically. So it may be that we're, we're really caught up in our, uh, in a, a child or adult, you know, that we're caught up in our thoughts and our worries or anticipations to the extent that we don't really um, – uh, like I might walk out and not even see my garden or see the little plants that are growing or the tomatoes that are forming, etc. So this is a reminder to pay attention to the small things, that those small things in life are just as important as the larger ones that sort of loom out at us. So it's a great way to work with children, I'll tell you. And, and um, the funny thing, Cindy, as you mentioned, um, the next thing Karen, the publisher, said was, you know, you should write children's stories about, you know, based on each of these. And I went, you know, I gulped and I went, I, you know, I don't write children's. How do we, how do you, again, I stumbled over my words. And then I really got into it. And as a writer, it's like uh, you have to get, become obsessed, you know, with whatever project you're working on. It becomes, it's like you wake up thinking about it. You go to, de- you know, you go to sleep thinking about it. Dinner, you're trying to show up, you know, for whoever the company is. And you're thinking about it. You're taking notes here and there. Anyway. So I decided, yeah, I'm going to jump in and give it a shot. So I wrote, um, I think I wrote nine altogether, ultimately nine. And I, they're really good stories. My, I, I have three grandchildren. And my little four-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, Lila, uh, I was talking to her just the other day, I, and uh, we were talking about the CDs. Her mom said she listens to the stories every night for bedtime stories. So I asked her about her favorite. She told me, Danny... Danny, Heather, Heather the Hummingbird and Danny Dolphin. Danny oh, Dolphin. Sweet. Yeah, and Heather the Hummingbird helps a, a, a girl that moves into a new neighborhood make friends with the girls that are in the neighborhood. And uh, becomes her friend. Heather becomes her friend for a while and communicates with the little girl, who I think in the story is named Serena, and eventually then flies out to the front where the, girl, the other girls of the neighborhood are jumping rope and they invite her to join in, and a happy ending. <laughs> so Lila loved that one. She loved Danny the dolphin, who uh, leads the parade. They decide to have a parade, and Danny wasn't real keen about it, but eventually he, was, he ended up leading the parade after talking to Turtle. <laughs> it was so oh much fun. Oh, my gosh. Well, and how sweet for you to know that your granddaughter Lila is listening to this as her yeah. bedtime story, and it came out of your co-creation with, you know, your your relationship with with the world and nature and animals. I mean, how beautiful yeah. is that? Well, it's uh, very gratifying, as you can imagine. And she now she did ask me to write a story about a mermaid, so that's on the horizon. <laughs> I, I got to oh, come up with a story about a mermaid. Yeah, we're going to do some more stories too. I think there's twenty. Not, I think I know there's twenty four cards and. I've only written, I think, uh, like I say, eight to ten stories. I've lost track here of so many. But uh, like I said, Cindy, it was a challenge and it was a, uh, an opportunity at the same time. And it's a nice to have this as a legacy, not only for my grandchildren, but, I mean, parents. There was one, one parent, uh, a couple, that a mom and dad that wrote us and said, yeah, we sneak into our daughter's room at night and grab the cards so we can do readings. <laughs> 
because, you know, a lot of people on planet Earth have never had a reading. You know, I mean, that's why, you know, this conference was so fascinating to see a cardiologist from the Netherlands talking about Hmm. near-death experiences and on a panel discussion with a hospice worker and a and a priest. I mean, it was like mm, what a combo. It was just it was yeah. And you know what's interesting I, and I'll only take a moment for this, but when uh, I was 40, 42 when I had my last child and um my last trip before he was born was to take a group swimming with the dolphins and I created a children's mm-hmm. program um so that my older children who, you know, were, you know, a little bit older, they're 30, 28, and then I have the 18-year-old. So there's a 10-year gap there. And so I knew this was our last trip as that Mm. part part before the child came. And so we went swimming with dolphins, and I had missed this test. Somehow somehow they missed this test, and it kind of concerned me just a little bit, you know, one of the diagnostic tests. And I was an older mother, and I refused to, you know, do the – uh, genetic testing. I was like, no, whatever mm-hmm. it will be, it will be. And so I was at this conference and I ran into this gal who, you know, this was almost 20 years ago and it was for her 60th birthday, her daughter gifted her this dolphin trip with me. And I was like, wow. oh my gosh, I can't believe you're here. And I said, you know, she goes, oh, I'm getting older. And I'm like, oh, we all are, Marcy. I'm going to be 61 in a month. You know, it's the deal. And I said, it just, you know, but look at you, you're almost 80, right? Because we figured it out. And I said, do you remember the last dive we did, and I was like eight and a half months or eight months pregnant at this time. I wasn't really supposed to be traveling, but I didn't understand the rules, and there I was. And so I said, you know, I don't listen to that anyway. kind of person, yeah. Yeah. So I said, Marcy, do you remember the last dive when you and I were there, and I, I called in the dolphins, and I said, if there's anything that needs to be cleared with this child, please, please do it now. I said, do you remember they came from, Mm -hmm. we had four of them, one to the north, one to the south, one to the east, one to the west. And I said, and I felt them. And she goes, oh, I remember. We both started like tears in our eyes because it was like this cosmic moment that, you know, Hmm. really. And so that child that was in my womb pulled the dolphin card tonight, Stephen Farmer. And I had just shared the story with him. I mean, come on, full circle. (laughs) Love it. Oh, I yeah. love it, Sid. What a great story! Yeah, and yeah. that, and again, there's there's a good another of you know millions, but another example of the magic. You know, yeah. when we're just tuned in, and God bless you for doing that. You know, for calling on the dolphins. That's the other thing is that the spirit animals can help us that way. They can help us heal. They can guide us. It's just amazing what spirit animals can do. I had a, I had a hawk. I was uh, goofing. <laughs> I was actually in the midst of writing a. Uh, one of the Oracle card decks, the guidebook for the Oracle cards, messages from their animal spirit guides. And uh, I, I confess, this was a few years ago, I confess that I was goofing off. I was playing backgammon or something like that on the computer. And in flies this hawk out of nowhere and bumps into the the plate gla- uh, the, uh, sliding glass door that was closed. He was okay, by the way. And I went, oh, my God, you know. Well, okay. And I, I remember saying to myself, Okay, Mister Spirit Animal Guy, what's this about you know? So I did what I, I I suggest to people, which is before you go to the internet or you know any book, my books or anybody else's books, ask the spirit animal what the message is. So I did that very thing, and the first thing that I heard in my that inner voice when in response was stay focused, you know, which is a characteristic of hawks, the animal, as well as hawk spirit. So anyway, that you know, that's a very short story, but there are tons of, of stories from other people and myself, where like your story, of where a spirit animal has been helpful in some way, either by guiding or or helping heal, or providing a blessing or anything like that. It's just, it's just awesome. So through the cards with children, it it eventually, as the child gets older, they can be uh, coached in that. That not only it's not just the cards. But it's outside. You know, when a crow flies right by you three feet away, might be a message there. When a hummingbird floats in front of your face, might be a message. When you're walking in the woods and a fox crosses your path, it, it could very well be a message. Yeah. These these cards and your CDs are a tremendous, like, 
fabulous gift to the planet. And we published an article on uh, Spirit Secret this last month. Um, and I, you know, I, I when I published it, I was like, oh, you know, like this. The children, you know, the children are so hungry for knowledge, and you know, with Kindles and Nooks and you know all this technology. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, they're losing a little bit of that touch, and so I thought, oh, this is great that he's got this CD that is an audio because you know, and and I love that you shared that Lila goes to sleep listening, you know, to the yeah. different stories, and you know, hummingbirds mean joy and cheer up, and you know, here, you know, there's they're like sponges. They these children are so receptive and they're so telepathic, mm. and you know, my 18 year old says, oh, mom, if I want to know what you're up to, I just look at your Facebook page, and I'm like, oh, that's really bad, and when I first <laughs> know. <laughs> When I first got a Facebook page, they were like, "What are you doing? You, you're like, you're like an older person." And I'm like, "Do you want to stay in touch or not?" You know, and and you know, but but these younger kids have Twitter lists. I mean, the minute they yeah. um, do something, they tweet it to their pod. I call it their pod, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. and talking about that, I, I would love to talk about your ancestral healing uh, book, your latest book. Um, I mean, I, I know, you know, you're, what can I say? Your cards are great. Your children's uh, books are great. All of your work is great. But this book, Healing Ancestral Karma, is especially um, magnificent in that you cover so many oh, things. You. In this. you know, so with these children today, let's just combine two things in one. With the children today, who are so awake. They really are. They're very present. Not all, but but you know what I'm talking about. They're a I little more. Yeah. 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 And that my 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 18 year old had an iPhone in his hand, and had stacks of CDs by the time he was three. And I know that that was part of the deal for his knowledge. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was reading whole books at age three because he'd been on mm-hmm. the internet and learned in that yeah. way. And, you know, I mean, my older kids are, are great, too, and I raised four stepchildren. So, you know, I've raised mm, kids for a wow. long time, seven of them, yeah, the tribe. Well, and and I love, <laughs> well, I love each and every one of them. And I knew this, that That's was part of my cool. deal this lifetime. I wanted to be a mom. And, you know, and um, I've been lucky with the work that I do. I can, you know, have always been able to work around the kids. And mm-hmm. I'm grateful for that. But with these kids that are so awake and, you know, I firmly believe that we choose our parents, you know, on a soul level. I don't know if you agree with that, but you're a soul healer. Let's talk about these kids that are, um, I mean, you know, I was surprised that this child chose a father who is 44 and a mother 42, but, you know, like we're older parents. I mean, you know, of of the group, we're the old parents. (laughs) We're in our 60s and most people are grandparents. But what what is going on with these kids and and? to be so dialed in with technology and how important is it to teach them about their ancestors? I mean, it's a different society now and you touch on so much in this freeing yourself from the unhealthy patterns of, you know, the divination with the ancestors. You talk about all the different cultures. You, you, I don't know. We could go a lot of ways. You go wherever you want well, with, with I understand. these questions. I totally understand because it's, it's a rich, um, and uh, I think a somewhat complex kind of a subject. Um, gosh, where where would I start with that? I guess with uh, if you think of the children, that's one thing. One thing I see happening more and more, and I I know from my own research, both my internal as well as you know reading, etc., is that um, the ancestors really do want to help us. And I don't mean just mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. They can help us. Uh, anybody who's been through a medium and and has an experience. Um, of making contact with a uh, deceased loved one, I want to call them ancestors too. You know, my mom and dad are not just my deceased mom and dad or deceased loved ones, but they're my ancestors. And they, um, not only in our biological lineage, but in, uh, with the ones I would call the old ones or the ancient ones. And these are ancestors that have come and gone on this earth plane in a non-visible form, but they show up to help us and to assist us. And it's been my observation, Cindy, that they are here to help us. We just need to ask, like, you you know, any, ask angels, you know, but in this case, ask the ancestors. Anyway, the um, 
the phenomena to me as I dived into this, dove into it, anyway, however you say that, as I dove <laughs> into this, I know, we've got to look that one up. Uh, yeah. As I dove into this was, <laughs> was to, to understand that indigenous cultures, it's, it's uh, number one, it's, of course, the ancestors are um, living with us daily. And that's like, wow, you know, we kind of put them into, we go visit the graveyard, you know, or something like that. And we spend time in some way with our ancestors. But in our culture, we don't really see that as a daily living occurrence that they're here with us now. For instance, in the Zulu culture, I, a piece that I read and, and recently I put in the book too, <clears throat> is that um, when an elder dies of the family, they actually bring in a special bow or bow from a tree and they set it up in the corner of the hut and that nobody else can sit there because that's for the ancestor that has recently passed. The funny thing, the ironic thing, and the funny thing is, <laughs> uh, the, according to the story, they set it up next to the beer, you know, in case the ancestor gets thirsty or something like that. <laughs> so it's just a, a comical kind but of anecdote an about that. It's, a, it's an honoring. It's like, it's like, you know, in the Jewish um, faith with Passover and they leave the empty chair, who, you know, like, who will be the yeah. Messiah, or who will be the, the yeah. not that's, I don't think that's, the, is that the right, I don't know, but you know what I mean, who will be yeah. the prophet, and you leave the chair open, and you know someone's going to be a prophet, you know, and it, it's like that energy, though, of teaching, like, here's the ancient one they've gone before, but here's this part of a tree that's representing them, and they're energetically here, I mean, how beautiful is that? Mm, yeah. Rather and than it, our culture, it, it, that's like that, that's so uncomfortable with talking about death, and you know, oh, heaven and hell, mm-hmm. yeah, and then it's just done, and they, now the good stuff starts when they go to the other side, and you're like, oh, wait a minute, we've got this earth-based thing we need to do here, but the yeah, elders exactly. are yeah. part of it, yeah, yep, you yep. bet. Yeah, I remember that one of the first books I uh, no, I want first books, but one of the books on my top ten, what books influenced me the most was called The Denial of Death by Ernest Becker. Back in the 80s, I was just astounded at, um, and I'm a little off topic, but I think that's what really began my interest about death. Not in a morbid way, I feel it is a morbid thing, but just, you know, yeah, what does happen after death? Anyway, what I've been shown in, again and again is um, what happens after we die. And one of the facts of this is that when we die, we don't, immediately become saints. We still have work to do on the other side, that there is a spiritual evolution that we are um, bound to go through. And um, one of the ways that I, we can help our ancestors and they can help us is by doing our own healing. Um, that allows the ancestor to move forward in their spiritual evolution and it allows me to move forward in my awakening process here on the earth. And I know that I'm sure many of your listeners, Cindy, as well as yourself, you've had contact in some way with, uh, whether through a medium or direct contact with an ancestor. And it's pretty amazing when that happens. I, I'll tell you a short story. I, I could, it takes 15 minutes to tell the whole story, but basically, um, years ago, my par, uh, my mother never really got me. I, she wasn't able to. And, I, I was pretty shy and walled off in a lot of ways, so it wasn't her fault. You know, she is who she is or was who she was. Um, but there was always this feeling like, does she love me or not? You know, because I don't, I don't know that she really understood. I was kind of a weird kid, you know. I don't know if you can relate, but I was a pretty weird kid. I can totally relate. Yeah. I was a different one <laughs> well, in my family, too. Yep. Uh, yeah, the, uh, not the black sheep, the white sheep maybe or something like that. Who knows what to call that. But the one that, that uh, I was a watcher. So my mother never really got me. But I, by, through circumstance, my partner Cindy and I went to her brother's and his wife, Cindy's sister-in-law, turned out to be a reader, a psychic. Uh, she didn't want to do it because her parents, her, excuse me, her mother and her grandmother, she said, really kind of, they had that same gift, but they dealt with a lot of the dark forces. So I just pitched her. I said, hey, if you want to do a reading, and so she hit me up and said, let's go to the backyard, does this reading, and takes me into this incredible buried pain, you know, old, old, like when I was a baby or something like that. I don't know what it was. I can't even remember what she said or what happened other than 
other than I remember walking away from there just absolutely overwhelmed and stunned. And Cindy and I went out and, and uh, parked our car and, pack, and uh, camp, set up camp just outside Portland, Oregon, in the trees. I didn't say a word on the whole trip, on the, on the drive out, sat down and was trying to process this, you know, so I started to write my journal, and my mother came to me. As, loud, as clear as, I didn't see her, but I, I could feel her, and she said something to me that I will always remember. It was as if she was standing three feet away, and she said, Stephen, now I see who you are. Now I see who you are. And then the dam burst, you know, of course, you can imagine, Cindy. I was oh. just like, oh, oh, I was crying my eyes out, you know, for the next uh because she acknowledged you. It took her getting to the other side, doing her own soul evolution and soul work to realize yep. this kid chose me as his mom and I didn't get him. But I do yeah. now. And so it healed everything yeah. instantaneously, didn't it? Yeah, you know, and it, that's a, it was a forgiveness on um, right. really both our parts, but certainly on my part. Because it was a, a forgiveness without even using the word forgiveness. Oh, I forgive you, Mom. It was more like a compassion for her that developed out of that particular experience, as well as her expressing compassion and understanding for me, you know, who I, who I truly was, you know, and the gifts that I had that she was not able to see at that time in her lifetime. And so that's the kind of powerful stuff. So um, that theme of forgiveness comes up again and again in the workshops. We do some pretty, uh, pretty interesting exercises around that. And I, I usually say something like that, like I just said, uh, in prefacing it, saying it's not about just the words. You know, I can say I forgive you, and it, it's empty. It's just words. But when I can really feel and sense um, compassion for this human being that happened to be my mother, happened to be my father or my grandfather, my uncle, whatever it may be, then at some point when I'm really touched in that way, then I can just let it go, you know, whatever charge I had. That's ancestral healing. Yeah, that's ancestral healing. And then also um, there's an exercise in the book that, that we do. In, uh, we're, I was actually doing workshops before I wrote the book. Essentially, it's identifying a condition in yourself for which you would seek healing with the help of the ancestors. And then uh, finding through this process the ancestor that, that most strongly carried that that same condition. It could be physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, whatever. And then with the help of spirit, sending healing light to the ancestor across time and space. And then they absorb that and then they send back to you through the healing light and love the now healed condition so that you can absorb it in your soul body, in your physical body. And then you in turn send that to your descendants, known or not known. A very powerful process. One story that, um, Cindy, that I could tell is a, I think one of the first times I did this in a workshop a few years back, I got an email the next day from a woman who was in the workshop. And she said, you know, I had this dream I wanted to tell you after the workshop that night. And I was walking through the forest and there was, uh, in the distance, I could see a fire, a campfire. And it looked like some uh, men were around this campfire. And as I approached, as I got closer, I was a few feet away, and I could see that the man whose back was towards me, sitting in that um, circle around the fire, the man that was, whose back was towards me was my grandfather, who I'd worked with that day. He turned around to me, and he said, thank you, I can now sit in circle. Which was saying, thank you so much for the healing, because now I can take my place. You know, there's another way to say it. So stories like that have come back and uh, rebounded from the experience. Things like that and the forgiveness exercises. Um, and also the fact, if I may add one more piece, Cindy, I know I'm kind of going on here, but... No, you're fabulous. That? You're absolutely fabulous. Uh, you know, oh, you're teaching yeah. through, you know, your wisdom and, and experiences, which is the best way. That's a shaman. Okay, so well, go thank ahead. You. Yeah, so I am a storyteller, that's for sure. 
Um, that, what fascinates me is this new science that's developed over the last couple of decades called epigenetics. And what it basically is uh, finding out is that we're not stuck with ge- the genetic code that we came in with, that we can alter that. We can't alter our DNA. DNA is pretty well set. Not pretty well. But it you is can set. overwrite it with consciousness is where you're going. Yes. I know. Yeah, with, with any kind of healing you do, there's an opportunity for the way that DNA expresses through the gene so that the genetic code alters. And anyone who has done healing, like yourself, and, and many of your listeners, I'm sure, knows that um, there's something different, that you're not stuck with the environmental influences that you grew up with. You're not stuck with uh, some static way that you're supposed to be as a human being, that you have the opportunity to take, you know, that like that weirdness, <laughs> like I was telling you, my, my weird kid stuff, and see that now I get paid to be weird, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty woo, cool. Woo, woo is wonderful. <laughs> woo, yeah. woo is wonderful. Yay. We should start a campaign yeah. with that. Yeah, I know. And it's like, you know, that's what's changed. You know, I mean, I, I, I work in the area of feng shui and clearing and now real estate. Don't Don't laugh. I know. I've reinvented myself. I don't know how many times this lifetime. But, you know, I've had so many people say, you make this woo-woo stuff seem normal. I'm like, yeah, well, it is in my world, you know. And, yeah. you know, yeah. but it's, but it's, that's the deal. That's the thing about giving thanks to all of the ancestors and all of the indigenous cultures. And we're the young culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, yep. I love it when people say, oh, acupuncture, that new thing. I'm like, what? It's ancient, you know. Like, <laughs> I know, I know, but I want to share something just quickly, but before I do that, I want to make sure I cover all the bases. Earthmagic.net is where you can find out all the information on Dr. Stephen Farmer, his books, his workshops, his sessions, all that good stuff, um, and I do mean good stuff, so earthmagic.net, mm-hmm. and um, and Satyama is what brought us all together this evening, so I want to acknowledge Karen and Susan Stuff who do magic. They they do great things mm-hmm. for um, with publishing, you know, and, and working with writers and taking their concepts and bringing them mm-hmm. out and delivered to to all of us. Um, so I want to acknowledge them, but um, but quick. And also, I want to say that this is my last interview, live interview, until September. I'm taking the next three months mm-hmm. and um, doing doing some different things. Um, I'm not going to go into details, but I I just. I'm taking some time off, and we'll play the best of, you know, so you'll oh, get to listen to, to fabulous interviews. Yeah, yeah. And so so here's the deal. So this weekend, quickly, when this medium that is fabulous, uh, Thomas John, mm. delivered this reading, he says, who's the, uh, he, he asked, who has the suicide in their family? And there were two of us who raised our hands in the same section, literally one row, like we were, and I had connected with this gal the whole conference. Her son committed suicide at 15 and my brother at 35. Hmm. And so unbeknownst to me, you know, he's got his eyes closed for the most part, but he goes, okay, who's George? Who has a George on the other side? And no one in the room, like could have been anyone. He could, you know, but it was me. I said, my cousin George. So my cousin George died abruptly. Hmm. And he was kind of like the older cousin who was the one who got us all together for family reunions toward the end of his life and all this. And my birthday is June 29th. His is June 28th and totally connected. Mm. And so that led him. I got the reading. Okay. And he, he went on and explained things about my brother and his suicide that, you know, I knew a lot, but there was parts I just never really yeah. totally understood. But he said, who's the gardener in the family? Who's the gardener? And, of course, that was me. And he says, do you realize your brother, not realize, but he says, your brother's talking to you in the garden. He goes, anytime you're in the garden, he wants you to know that you can just talk to him. And I have, like, mm-hmm. my brother was pretty wounded when he left the planet. And I yeah. never called on him as one of my guides. You know, I just loved him. But it, but it yeah. wasn't until that reading I thought, oh, my God, he's a thought away. Why haven't I called on him? You know, like, hmm. I know. And it's like. So there you go. So all right, we're, what else do you want to share? Final words of wisdom. We have one minute. Oh, what, oh goodness, pressure, pressure. I, I'm I just, sorry. You know, no, your, you're fabulous, Stephen no, Farmer. You're keep, fabulous. Oh, God bless you. I would just say keep your eyes and your heart open, you know, and and don't be don't get stuck in in patterns, you know. If, if you try, try new things, you know, experience, dance, 
sing, you know, do something a little different, you know, shake your life up a little bit from time to time. I think it's a good to do that. And then you and God will find you in all that. So there you are. This is Dr. Stephen Farmer, <laughs> earthmagic.net. His latest book, Healing Ancestral Karma, but he has these fabulous CDs. And you've heard the interview. Thank you. Thank you from my heart to yours. I cannot thank you enough. So keep doing the work you're doing and just enjoy. And may Hummingbird bless you over and over again because you're bringing great oh, joy to others. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you're doing, okay. too. You provide right. a wonderful service. Have a great okay. three months, too. Okay, Okay. thank you. Okay, good night, everyone. Have a happy summer. Okay, good night.